So we are continuing a series we started a while ago called Praxis, and it's based on the book of Acts. And our little uh, line up there says, Praxis means the process by which an idea is enacted, embodied, or realized. It also means, Praxis means um, Acts in Greek. So what we're trying to get at here is it's not all about ideas and, and just theology and, um, and thought, but it's about action. In the last few weeks, we've had missionary speakers who have come, and they've showed us how in their world, and their mission field, that they are going and they're serving Jesus, and they're, um, they're carrying the idea of the gospel to the world. And we support several. We've done a missions conference the last uh, few weeks, uh, Faith Promise. And if you haven't turned those cards in yet, we'd love to get those so we can make commitments to future missionaries. Before we started that, though, we, were, we ended up in Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning, so you can turn there. But I wanna, before I get there, I want to tell you a story. So I grew up in church from the time I was 10 years old. I loved it because it was, being a part of that was forming to me. It helped me to grow up in my faith. And there's, but there's one thing about the Christian faith that I struggled with, especially in my teen years and in my young adult years, and that had to do with this big word that starts with an E, and it's evangelism. So I grew up with the impression I needed to be a secret agent for Jesus. And, you know, I've I was sitting around the campfire with some guys from Hillcrest at a camp out a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about, you know, if you could be something else beside what, what you are right now, what would you be? And I always say I'd be an FBI agent. I think that'd be really, that'd be really awesome. And there's actually one of the guys that came really close to becoming an FBI agent, which was, which was cool. But I felt like at times, like, I'm representing Jesus. I have to, like, insert it into everyday conversation as much as possible. For example, like in shop class in middle school, back when we used to have a shop in middle school. Anybody remember those days? Okay. I don't think that happens anymore. Well, say this. I'm working with my shop partner on a project. We're building a birdhouse. And we're, you know, we're cutting the wood. Dangerous to have shop in middle school. I mean, I had several, I got cut, several people. I, I mean, I get, I get um, the building stuff, but I should have been more supervision. But we're building a birdhouse. And... And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. It's like, you know, I say to my, my partner, this is a birdhouse. It's made out of wood. We're like carpenters right now. We're like carpenters. Did you know that Jesus was a carpenter? <laughs> you just kind of slip that in there. Or uh, say so you get hit. I played baseball practice, got hit in the nose, wasn't paying attention, got hit in the nose with a baseball, bleeding everywhere. And everybody's like, are you Okay. It looks like you're shedding a little blood there. And I might say something like, yeah, I am, but I'm okay. But did you know Jesus shed his blood? Did you know that? Let me tell you about that. These, these things, these moments of life were like, I feel like I have to like share that. Now, when I, in my late teens, I took a, actually took a class at my church. It was called Evangelism Explosion. Is anybody familiar with this? It was a thing where they taught us an outline, and they taught us scripture, and, and I've used it a ton in my life, I'm gonna, to be honest. It was I've, this outline I've used, and scriptures I've memorized. It was great. Um, the hardest part of the night for me is when we, the class would end, and we're like, okay, now we're going to go downtown, and we're going to go to the hospital, or we're going to wander the streets, and we're going to talk to people about Jesus cold turkey. And that wasn't my favorite thing to do, because I don't know, I just felt like 
for some people, that works for them. For me, that's a stretch. And it was like a sales pitch. And it got old having people cuss us out, turn away, slam doors in our faces. And I remember walking away and people going, our, our team going, you know, how, that's too bad for them. I mean, they're missing out. How, how, how dare them, you know? Like, we're offering something not good to them. But as I think about it as I've gotten older and as I've grown up in my faith and learned quite a few things about me and about sharing Jesus, that how dare we, how dare we skip the whole relationship or friendship part of that? How dare we look at Jesus as someone to market as opposed to showing him to people in our actions and our words? Now, as followers of Jesus, we know our responsibility is to live out the Great Commission. And I will never forget the moment in my life where I realized that sharing Jesus with others was not a contest, it wasn't a sales pitch, it wasn't about numbers. What I learned is that God is all about the one. We need to be about loving him and loving people that he puts into our lives. And that's where we're going today, that Jesus is all about the one. In the nine years or so that I've been at Hillcrest, for some of for some of you have been a great example to this. I've learned a ton from people who are, who are living their faith in real life. It's been really forming for me. People that are loving others with no strings attached. Leading Bible studies with coworkers and classmates. Doing life with neighbors. Living life with people in your life. Not on a secret mission, not as secret agents, but as representatives of Jesus. And I bet when I said the word evangelism, some of you might have like made the hair in the back of your neck stand up. Same reason it did for me. Some of you, you get excited about it. Today, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to show you an amazing example of how God is all about the one. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26, a little background, since we're picking up this series from when we left off over a month ago. So early in the book of Acts, the church is growing and is exciting. Acts 6 and 7 talk about how the disciples, the apostles, needed some extra help with the day-to-day duties like taking care of the widows because the church was growing. So they recruited seven men and they named them deacons. One of them chosen was Stephen. Stephen was a man of uh, faith, a man of power, but he also ended up being killed for his faith. And the man who oversaw his death, the man who approved of it, who was there, was was a religious leader named Saul. And in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we learn that this has totally changed everything for the early church. The church was growing, it's exciting, it's safe, and all of a sudden, they're scattered. It says everyone except for the apostles were scattered throughout the whole region because Saul was ravaging the church and dragging men and women off to prison. So in one one instance, they needed to be scattered in order to spread out the message of Jesus. However... This came as a, uh, as a cost, as many ended up dying, many ended up in prison. Now, another deacon named Philip was also chosen. And when the church was scattered, he ends up preaching the word of God in the city of Samaria. Many people there had come to faith. There was miracles happening, magicians turning to God, people open to the gospel. It was exciting. It was like every day you go out and there's people excited about hearing about Jesus. And despite all that, God had a different assignment for Philip to do. And that's where we're picking this up in verse 26. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So first off there, an angel talked to Philip. That's pretty cool. He's, he's doing his work in Samaria. An angel shows up and says, you're going to leave Samaria. You're going to go south to the desert, to Gaza, which was one of the last watering places before the desert on the road to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Egypt. So that's where he goes, leaving the exciting crowds, going to the one. Now, Ethiopia was an ancient kingdom on the Nile River, and this Ethiopian he meets is a eunuch in charge of the king, queen's money. Now, right now, this poses a dilemma for me because do I take time to explain what a eunuch is and make every guy in the room squirm in his seat? But eunuchs were often put in charge of harems of the king. So their wives, their mistresses, their concubines, they lived with the women, bathed, with, bathed them, took the care of their every need. And there was no place for temptation or, or relationships. So they would castrate them and make sure that didn't happen. So that's his background. This particular eunuch has a lot of responsibility. He was in charge of the queen's treasure. And it says this, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now it's estimated this eunuch from Ethiopia to where he was had traveled 1,100 miles or so, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500, they say. That's like, that's like riding in a chariot from here to Disneyland. No, thank you. That's a long, that's a long trip. He was in Jerusalem to worship. So a Gentile, a non-Jew, curious about the God of Israel, he travels there to worship. But there's no way he's even going to get close. He's going to be in an outside court of the temple. He's not going to get too far in because he's a Gentile, and he's not going to hear much scripture read. But then it says this in 29. The Spirit, Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here's the important job. Philip, the evangelist in Samaria, well-known, lives change. God says an angel. Angel says go to the desert, so he goes to this man, to this one man. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the fact that this Ethiopian had a, any scripture, that's amazing too, that, that's even, that, he had a, that he had that written down, because that was rare. And it says, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was from Isaiah. And it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Says, I love this. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
It's not Isaiah talking about himself. It's Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah to come. I can hear it now. Saying something like, this man, this man being led like a sheep to slaughter, that's Jesus. This man who was humiliated, who was denied justice, it's Jesus. This man whose life was taken away, it's Jesus. And let me tell you, he did this for you so that your sins might be forgiven, so that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. I bet it went something like that. And it says, as they were going down the road to some water, they came upon some water, and the eunuchs said, see, here is some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. In that chariot, this Ethiopian made a decision to follow Jesus. Philip was sent from a long ways away to meet him. He shares about Jesus. And then he says, well, let's just get baptized. Let's just do it right now. And it says that when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as, as, at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until it came to Caesarea. So Philip baptizes. The eunuch comes out of the water. All of a sudden, Philip's gone, transported 25 miles away or so to another city. How cool is that? And the Ethiopian eunuch, he just, he just like chuckles and rejoices and goes on his way. Yeah, it's awesome. So what can we take about, away from this story? What do, what do we learn? How can we apply this to us today? And I have a, want you to get this. God definitely cares about the masses. He cared about Samaria, but he especially cares about the one. Philip was in the midst of amazing ministry. People's lives were being changed. It was exciting. Then God came and he said, I want you to travel to this one man. He didn't even know it at the time because this one man was important enough and they need to hear it. And Philip says, yes, I'll go. So how about you and how about me? Do we answer God's call in our life? Are we willing to go after the one? You know, I wonder, God could have just sent the angel. Why did he need Philip? He could have sent the angel to go meet the Ethiopian on the road, explain Isaiah, baptize him. He could have done that. But instead, God sends the angel to visit Philip and sends him. And why did he need him to go? It's because we are partners with God in sharing the gospel with the world. It's his mandate. It's his job. It's he does the work, but we get to partner with him because he wants us to have ownership in the process. He wants us to be a part of it. He wants to use us in this world. Quick story. At this point in our life, in the Persley family, any piece of furniture that we buy usually comes in a box and I have to put it together. That's just the truth. And so often, whether it's a dresser, whether it's a bookshelf, um, with, that's I have to put it together, but I have three people in my house, young people, who always want, are anxious to help. They want to get in there with millions of pieces and screws and pieces of wood, and they want to help me out. Now, between you and me, it's easier to do it by myself. It's already hard enough, right? But I choose to include them because I want them to be excited. I want them to have ownership of the process, too. They get to be part of creating something beautiful. And I think that that's a part of God's perspective with us. He gives us the commission to share Jesus with people in the world, and we partner with him. He does most of the work, but we need to be obedient and do our part. Otherwise, why bother? 
God uses us to impact the world. He could do it without us, but he chooses to use us in that process. So the big idea, main point, take away this. There should always be one person in our life that we are sharing Jesus with by our actions and by our words. Always one. Not everyone is called to travel to cities and be missionaries or, or to be a traveling evangelist and build stadiums full of people, but we're all called to reach one. And often that brings some excuses that, that well up within me and probably you too. First one says, well, I really don't know what to say. I don't, I'm, I'm afraid I won't know enough. But the great news is that God, by his Holy Spirit, empowers us and helps us to do the job. It says in the passage today that Philip opened his mouth. His story was powerful. Your story is powerful, the way that God has changed your life. You're meant to share that. Share about your experiences. You might be surprised at what you know. It's not to say we shouldn't study, go to school, learn, all that. Of course, that's important. But trusting God and, and taking the opportunity to speak. Another excuse would be, well, 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 what if they don't respond or what if they reject me? And you might be the first person to tell someone about Jesus or to share your story or the 101st. Obviously, other people had talked to the Ethiopian before Philip did, right? Philip just got to be there for the grand finale, right? See the bigger story in someone's life. It takes time. The more you take time to develop meaningful relationships with others, the more opportunities you will have to share that gift with them. And yeah, they might reject you. Yeah, they may, they may not want to talk about it. But it should not be an excuse to not share our story, live out our actions, our words representing Jesus. This one says, well, I don't really have anyone in my life to share Jesus with. And we'd say, well, look around. Who's in your life? Your family, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, if you have kids, their parents of the other kids in, in classes and sports teams, coaches. And if you really don't have anyone in your life that doesn't know Jesus, then you should probably put yourself somewhere that does. Because that's what we're called to do. Another thing is look for those divine appointments, those moments that God gives us to speak into someone's life. I wish that every time I went to the store, every time I um, was running through a, in a coffee shop or wherever, I, I would be on every moment and be able to be aware and speak into people's lives or to take those moments. Sometimes I can do that. Sometimes I can't. A few months ago, I went to go do a routine thing, get my hair cut. And I go to the same place. There is a gal there who normally cuts my hair. Her name is Elsa, but she's not like the Elsa that's in the Disney movie. She's like a Russian lady who like gives me whiplash every time because she's like, you move my head around like this and I'm, my neck hurts, but she does a good job. So I keep going back to her. <laughs> but this particular time, I go to Elsa and she's busy. So there's another guy who started there. We'll say his name's Alex. And Alex is new and he, he's standing there eagerly saying, I'll cut your hair for you. Elsa's busy. So I go with Alex, and I, you know, when you go and get your hair done, I mean, I don't know how women do this for sometimes hours at a time, and it's for guys, it's usually, you know, 20 minutes, 15, but there's chit-chat that happens, small talk, right, where I always, well, what are you doing today? Well, I'm on my way to work. Well, 
where do you work? It always comes up. And I always say, well, I will get to work with middle school, high school students as a pastor, with their families, work in a church. And they go, oh, cool, you're a pastor. That's, that's great. And most of the time, they kind of avoid that conversation from that on out. And, but this time, it didn't. So as Alex is cutting my hair, he's, you know, the, the chit-chat stops. And I'm just sitting there quietly. I'm like, okay, you know, this enjoying the moment, getting my hair cut. And uh, he says, hey, can I tell you something? And I say, well, I already know I have a lot of gray hair. Um, you don't need it to, you to tell me that. But he says, no, I want to tell you a story. He says, honestly, I've been in trouble with the law. I've had some court things going on. I feel like I've hit rock bottom in my life. And he said, last week, I just felt like I should go to church somewhere. So I said, so you didn't know anybody? No, I just went. So he went to a church, not ours, but one, another one in our city. And he walks, he says, I walked into church, and I sat in the back row, right on the music was going on. And I wasn't sure what was there for me that day. But as the worship team was playing, and as I sat there in the service, I just felt this overwhelming, like, peace come over me. And I, the te- I never cried, said, I started crying in the middle of the service, and I raised my hands, and I and I was just worshiping, worshiping and, and it was awesome. He says, I don't have any Christian family. I don't have any Christian friends. He said, I, have, I haven't told anybody this. So in the middle, I'm sitting there in the chair. He t- begins to tell me this story. And I'm sitting there, and I said to him as I left, I gave him my content info. I haven't heard from him since. I have been back there, haven't seen him. But I said, you know, I think God gave us a moment today for me to, to hear your story to encourage you because he loves you. And I'm grateful that you shared your story with me. See, I want to be good about those moments with strangers, but I also want to be good about those moments with my neighbors, with, um, I'd say, people I work with, but they all know Jesus. But... um, (laughs) But my kids are on teams, they're in classes. I, I mean, I want to represent him well wherever I go. And I want you to do that too. And I want you to remember that Jesus is all about the one. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you cared so much about us, that you love us, that you, that you are a part of who we are, and that you called us to go, and you've called us to go after the one. That Just like you sent Philip from Samaria to the Ethiopian. So right now, I pray, God, that you would put in our minds and our hearts the ones at this moment in time that we're supposed to share you with, to have the courage with our actions and eventually our words. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed just for a moment. And those of you that are, have, are following Jesus for a, a while, I want to ask you to just think about this. Who is the one in your life right now? who is someone that God has put in your life, someone you sit across the office from, someone you see in your neighborhood, a family member, who is the one at this point that you're supposed to be praying for, living, loving them, being open to it, not trying to sell them something, but living life. Sometimes that takes years. I have friends that for years we have been friends with and loving them that have never decided to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean I don't do it. It means that I'm loving people as Jesus would. 
letting God do the work, and hopefully at some point, he'll draw them to himself. Some of you this morning, you may be the one. Let me tell you this. If Philip was called by God to go hundreds of miles to share Jesus with the Ethiopian on a desert road, then you better believe that God will move heaven and earth to get to you. I'll say it again. That man being led by sheep to slaughter, that was Jesus. The man who was humiliated and denied justice, that was Jesus. The man whose life was taken away, that was Jesus. And he did this all for you and me so that we could have an unbroken relationship with the God of the universe so that we wouldn't have to face this world alone so that we could be a part of his larger mission in this world. A little bit later when we have prayer teams come forward, I'd really encourage you to come and talk. That's you I'm speaking to right now. Come and talk to one of them or, my, or me. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. So God, I just pray that um, as we close this part of this, ser- this service out, that you would just be speaking to us, stir within us your plan and the heart for the one. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.